Hello, I am Anna Hacker from Australian Unity, and this is a podcast that will get you thinking about what happens after you die. Sounds morbid, right? But as a lawyer, my experience has shown that most of us are unprepared. Throughout this series, I'll be joined by a variety of experts and we will be exploring what happens to your business, wealth, kids, things, and even your body. Today, we will be reflecting on the past year and the impact that COVID-19 has had on lawyers in the US, managing the professional with Masha Dungog from Withers Worldwide, how we deal with clients remotely by talking with Amy Ravel from The Art of Decluttering, and how we manage the private with an extremely personal discussion with Jennifer Petruni, AMQC, about how she dealt with the process of having a family member pass away during lockdown. As such, this episode carries with it a warning. We have links to support in our show notes, but if this episode affects you, please reach out and seek help. First up is Marsha. Marsha has already been a guest on season one of What Happens When I Die and the partner in Wealth Planning and Tax at Withers Worldwide, where she advises across many areas of specialist tax law, but has a special interest in the ways that US expats are dealt with from a tax perspective overseas, as well as vice versa. So how Australians and others have their assets dealt with by the IRS. Marsha is going to provide us with insights into how COVID-19 impacted her practice, as well as how it made her clients reconsider what happens when they die, from a tax point of view. So... Welcome, Marsha. Thank you for joining us again. Oh, Anna, you are my favorite podcaster uh, of all time, and I'm always happy to join you. Thank you. It's glad to be speaking with you again after a whole 13 months or 14 months of the weirdest thing that's ever happened to all of us. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You could not be more right. Thank you for for those words. I, I know that, unfortunately, today we're not having you in the office, given we we have quite a few travel restrictions to Australia, and I'm sure that there's a lot going on around you anyway. I know we actually spoke, I remember one Saturday we had a a chat, um, and and it just Uh was a bit surreal, wasn't it? Because you couldn't go out, um, you didn't want, understandably, you know, you, you weren't wanting to go out because of the increasing numbers, and that was kind of even before it got really bad. So what has the last year been like for you? Well, we actually benefited, Anna, from the fact that we are here in San Francisco. We've got the tech companies all around us. We've got, you know, the Googles and we've got the Yahoos. We've got the Apples. And, you know, we also have the tech startups, the, you know, the the Hangouts and all different kinds of apps that we could use. So we kind of, I think, at least for San Francisco and, and California, we pivoted quickly because we mm-hmm. had the technology base that was the, that was here in San Francisco. We were able to, we were already using Zoom. We just didn't use it as much. Now we use it a lot, right? Earlier on in the pandemic, there was Skype. Yes. And then we also were able to um, leverage off of our electronic databases. Um, Withers, in particular, my firm, was already um, shifting into a digital Kind of, um, kind of a business environment whereby we were having less uh, actual less paper documents files. and more electronic yes. documents. Yeah, very so difficult for to, a lawyer <laughs> to not have oh files all God. around you. We still you. have people that actually cannot work without the actual printout. And hey, you know what? I whatever works for them. But now we had to make sure that there was a firm, a commitment to mm. digital because yeah. now you see that files get transferred faster on yes. digital. But then, you know, the signings were interesting, right? Because we still had to have actual will signings and we couldn't be there to notarize the document. So because, we had to yeah. arrange for... How, how do your will signings yeah. work? Because, I mean, in Australia, we have a will maker signs, two witnesses sign at the same time in the same room with the same pen. Um, when you say notarized, 
is that our witnesses don't need to be authorised in any way. It can be your neighbour, it can be anyone, but is that the same process where you are? No, it's very different. We, in California at least, we have a formal notary um, that has to be licensed as a notary. And some of my colleagues are notaries, in fact, um, some of our paralegals. And, you know, so so there's a specific notary that has to go around. And, you know, the, I think the mobile notaries business has increased by 120 percent, if not more, because at the time, the first couple of months, the office was closed. We couldn't really have clients in there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the mobile notaries were busy. We had our roll call of notaries that we could do. We had also uh, some of our attorneys are notaries. So they would make the trip. Either they would go to the client residences or we would meet the client would open the office up and just have a very limited, you know, signing because the actual original signature was still a requirement. Interestingly, though, the court filings have become electronic. So the court then, you know, at the state level started issuing these change in the rules, which allowed for more electronic documents to be filed. Was that because of COVID or was that coming in anyway? Because of yeah. It, I think it was accelerated because of COVID, mm. right? Because um, nobody could go in there. Usually you have a runner that goes to court and files the documents right before yes. 4 p.m. Yes. Now you don't have the runner. You don't have the actual document. Everything gets filed. And then the signatures are an issue. So, um, you know, everything became electronic. And ironically, while, the, as I was stating, I think earlier, you know, the, the attorney-client relationship pivoted to a more, I think, flexible, authentic kind of relationship whereby what's best for both you and me, what's convenient and safe for you and me. The government agencies had a tougher time um, catching up to this, right? Because obviously the government is made up of thousands and thousands of employees that are now not home and not at the office. And so we still have a backlog um, here in California and we still have a backlog at the IRS in terms of, can you imagine how many millions of filings that got delivered? <laughs> <Just sounds. laughs> and, I'm imagining mountains so of paper <laughs> crushing someone. Ironically, though, you know, I think, in, and not that I'm biased, Anna, but I think the one firm, the kind of industry really that dealt really well and was carried us through, right, um, aside obviously from the frontline workers who rightfully deserve all the accolades and acknowledgement for the sacrifice. But hey, what about the tax firms, man? What about the CPA firms and the tax firms and the law firms that kept everything going? Um, Having those, you know, economic plans put in place and having the filings done, you needed to talk to a CPA, you needed a lawyer to draft the documents. They were there. Still kept going, still kept working. We kept going. We're not frontline workers. I'd like to say we're back backline workers because they were in the front lines and we're in the back lines making sure everything still got filed and yeah. everything got tied in and all the documents were there. But it is an interesting relationship whereby everyone became suddenly aware of how interdependent we really are with one another, right? Mm. Absolutely. And I think that that's where, you know, we, so similarly to your runners, we have city clerks where you have someone who go, used to physically go to the court, they would file, um, you physically <laughs> took affidavits to get stamped and you, you had something that was, you know, actually in your hands. And the irony was we, um, so across Australia, and it started here in South Australia, um, the probate system moved online. It was followed uh-huh. last year by coincidence by Victoria. Um, by Victoria. And so just after we had our first lockdown, we had an electronic probate filing system. So we don't even get a probate parchment anymore. Not We don't get 
a physical document. It's all electronic. Um, and the electronic filing of court documents had been happening as well for a little while, each state slightly different, right. but it was just the perfect timing. And, and I have to say, my, my team as well, we just happened to have implemented electronic file, uh, filing systems and file management in January of 2020. And my, my team all just said, I, they, they did not want to lose their paper files. You know, we're all lawyers who we love having the, the document, as you said, document in front of you to, to actually mark up. But yeah. they said it was the best. They were, by, by just that luck of having had it come in a few months before, we were used to working electronically, not needing something physical, and it, it worked seamlessly then with the court system. And we, we have a bit of a, um, you know, the, the backup of the, the system as well because the priority is on getting criminal trials through, which means all of the other work, right. such as in our area, um, you know, in equity and trusts, we have um, a bit of a backlog, but um, they're uh -huh. certainly working through and um, hopefully there'll be some, you know, a lot of advancements simply because it's electronic instead of people physically going and queuing and waiting in a court. So it was really interesting to see that change, which actually wasn't because of COVID, but conveniently happened at the exact right, right. time for us really lucky. I think COVID just gave it a, a, a more validation yes. that you were in the right direction. Well, you right? couldn't and complain it, about it either. It US. had to happen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then it, it here, it gave it a push. As yes. I said, we were already on the on the, on the path anyway because of just where we were at, right, with the tech companies and everything else. And, you know, the, the consciousness about climate change and, mm. you know, the, the growing concern about, you know, how we're, our carbon footprint. So our firm in particular was already moving in that direction. We had initiatives, but I think COVID definitely brought home the point yeah. that this needs to happen. It's not a it's not discretionary anymore. It's yeah, a must. Have to. It's how we have to do business for the moving forward because not only is it faster and hopefully expedites, you know, the transfers of documents and the filings, but it also is safer. Yes. And that was, I think, the new equation that we never thought about before. Yeah. It being a safer alternative for the client and my colleagues and people that work with me, my fellow partners and all that stuff. And, and also with my, with you and me, right, Anna, like before we would do happy hours, uh, yes. we would be meeting in a bar. We would be doing like, you know, catch ups with the club, the crew, whatever. Now we are, we learned how to be happy online with yeah. zoom happy hours. Yeah. And every facet of, change yeah and and as we were saying you know zoom is now a verb <laughs> it's not just the application that you use you, you zoom with people it's it's really changed the way that we interact and I mean I know that in a lot of cases people will say nothing beats a face-to-face -face meeting but when you talk you have international clients you weren't potentially able to meet them um, except for that you know once or twice a year trip where you were going internationally traveling well you can't. So suddenly this is how it is. And I just feel that um, we were able to really make it the normality of, of current legal practice and, and normal business um, to, to work remotely in that way. Yeah. It's really been interesting. And you're right. Yeah. yeah, you're right about my international practice, Anna, because, you know, I love going to Australia uh, yes. twice a year. If I can shake out a third year, uh, you know, a third trip, I yes. would have. But I think it's made it more fun, too, yeah. in the sense that you don't have to pack your bags. You don't have to be out of the office for so long because now the game has changed. It's not me flying over to see you 
or us, you know, me flying to a, a certain place to meet up with you in your business, it's me guessing where you're calling me from yes. on the Zoom call. So yes. sometimes, I not at sometimes, most of the just this morning and and the last past few months, my first question has been, so where are we? You call it? Where are we calling from today? You know, and then I trip if knowing and if I guess correctly because I have a lot of globe trotting clients, as you know, and international clients at that. Um, it's funny. Sometimes I follow their movement. Sometimes I don't. But for the duration of the pandemic, I can guess that they're pretty much stuck in one country or yes. one jurisdiction or one state. But then they still manage to surprise me, particularly, you know, with the cross-border clients. Yes. Um, you know, I think it's really proven that guts and mutts and all that stuff, you know, um, there will be movement. Um and it's just differing. The difference in movement is, are you staying in the same country and just moving around states or are you flying between countries? Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's, it's a little bit more fun that way. So I, I try to make it into a guessing game. Um, where are you today? <laughs> where are you today? Hmm. <laughs> you're not in Malta. You're not in Canada. What? You're back home? (laughs) Well, the opportunity to travel like that. I mean, we certainly um, have had a lot of restrictions. I think that will continue. Do do you feel that there is going to be, you know, in in Australia, we have um, an idea that potentially in 2022, we'll be able to have kind of proper international travel again. Uh, It it does seem to change, (laughs) though, depending on, on what's happening around the world. Do you feel like there's going to be this long term impact? I mean, you, you were talking before potentially Australia, you know, maybe later this year, but we just don't know, Hopefully do we? November. I know, fingers crossed. I know. I don't know if Australia is going to accept me once I knock on the border, but let me tell you, the U.S. is opening fast, right? The vaccinations are going well. Um, you know, per the last news, I we're, we're more than two-thirds vaccinated. Uh, the states are opening up. So I think compared to, and I think, you know what, Anna, Australia is just very much more, I think it's just it's the culture also. But it to us, I think we're actually going to be traveling already by the end of the year. Now, it's not an office policy, but what I'm saying is people are traveling. Yes. Uh, the airlines are booking. There are plans, again, for families to meet over in another state for Thanksgiving. You know, And I think now it's always been a matter of discretion and preference. Like Whereas in Australia, I remember we were chatting like a, a few months ago. You know, we were chatting about Melbourne and how you were in a one-hour lock, right? One hour a day. A day, yes. Out. That's it. We never had that. Yeah. We never had that here in the U.S. It was more of like the, we trust you will make the best decision for yourself and we highly recommend that you stay home and this is how we do your your, your shelter in place, as we called it. Mm. But there was never, you know, a one that hour. mandated. Yeah, one hour. That's all. Yeah. It's, it's hard to believe now. Ugh, one hour outside. I and, know. You know, it was so precious. I think that as well, that idea of moving um, to to really to to hold so dear that opportunity to be with the family and, and really or be able to go out and and connect with people because you only had an hour it was it was actually a real eye opener for me um what my suburb was like i was able to go and and look at it in new eyes and and find out all of the the little surprising little cafes around the corner or the um the beautiful forest areas exactly and and that was so lovely that's what happens when you only have an hour you, you try and make the most of it but you know <laughs> you're like i need to plan which i'm going to hit for an hour <laughs> exactly and you know it, and trying to also get the energy out of the kids that was the other thing 
But, you know, having as well the other side of that where you're now having to go out, or not having to, but you can go out and return to the office, um, is the return to office something that is how how are you feeling about it? You've been at home for so long. You've been doing <laughs> client meetings from home, returning to the office. I mean, I yeah. had—I won't say anxiety, but I certainly had a bit of a that apprehension. I, my team was one that we did keep coming in a little bit because of the nature of the legal work we were doing. But um, coming right. in on the train w- was a very different thing each day. So ha- you're returning to the office now? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Um, you know what? We still haven't officially said we're we're all going to be in the office. I think my firm, in particular, and I can own, and and I do get you know some news about what the other firms are doing, but I think there's a general consensus that right now, until you know we have entire vaccinations, and you can't ever ask anyone whether they're vaccinated or not, right? Officially, um, until we feel that we can guarantee the safety right of our employees and and those of our clients. I think, you know, the the return to work is being discussed and it's being seriously discussed for months now, but it's not going to be like it was before. And I think we're going to have more flexible uh, work from home arrangements. We're definitely not going to encourage everybody going to be in the office all at once. Uh, San Francisco in particular, you know, I get in California, at least in our offices, the partners and the employees are starting to have these discussions about hey, what tasks are really critical that need you in the office and what tasks are better done, you know, from home? Yeah. And then you get into the whole chat about productivity, right? Like, where are you most productive at and what tasks are most productive done in the office and the ones that are done at home? And public transportation, you raise a very good point. I was just in a chat with our office manager this morning about how does it feel to to be riding into work for, you know, with BART? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have... You know, buses here in trans in San Francisco. You know, the transportation is, uh, you know, key to to reaching the city. Either you ferry across from the other sides of of California, Northern Cal, into the city, the Bay Area, into San Francisco. You either ferry in, you train in, you 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 public transport in by bus, or you bike, yeah. <laughs> like or or you do. Or you do the car. And I think it's definitely going to change, Anna. We're not going to go back to the world pre-pandemic. And I think that's for the better. But then it makes us more efficient. And it makes us also more cognitive of, well, not cognitive, but cognizant of our limitations as human beings. Mm. And I think that was one of the main takeaways too. Like, yes, there are 24 hours in the day, but maybe a two hour commute or a one hour commute into the office is not the best use of your day. Yeah. You know, um, and, and getting that opportunity to really wind down, you know, the real work life balance. I think we saw what that actually means. It's, it's not, um, as you say, commuting in and out, you know, an hour each way, losing two hours. It's, I can stop work and immediately go and spend that time in the park or go for a walk and and that that might not be every day I can be in the office two days but then I I I know that I I get that greater flexibility and that flexibility I think is absolutely going to be a long lasting impact um of what covid was and the the impact that it has on the way that we work particularly as lawyers I think that being able to be uh-huh. at home and be, as you say that is that where you're productive that's the focus it's not uh you must be in the office or you must be at home it's where can you do your tasks the most 
effectively right. and and where how are we going to structure that? It might be different for each person, different for each role. Um, it's definitely not one size fits all. There might be many reasons why people are in the office, but that long-lasting impact of let's look at what actually is going to work best for, for you but for our clients and put that into mm-hmm. place um, not just as a short-term COVID-related um, response but <laughs> long-term a long-term plan, a long-term strategy. And ironically, though, I hate to be the party pooper on this, Anna, but I do have to raise the dark side yes. of this flexibility. And you're like, what's the dark side, Marsha? What is the dark side, Well, Marcia? you know, I mean, <laughs> well, the dark side is well, you can carry this to extremes. Like when you say, what does make you more productive and where does what kind of you know work-life balance do you want? It has gone to extremes, right? You've heard about people who haven't told their employers that they practically moved across the country or they actually left the country and went home to their home country yes. and was working from their home country. So there is that question, right? Like if I'm going to die tomorrow, I'd rather die here than there. I'd rather be closer to my family than here. And that has created a sort of tension too, because, you know, I mean, from a legal perspective, uh, businesses are only allowed to do business where they're registered or, you know, the exposure, let me not say the three-letter word, tax, um, the cross-border implications of having an employee or a partner across the seas. As oh, no wonder you're interested state, in this part, alone. the tax implications. I can understand <laughs> that. <laughs> that. That's but your little sweet spot. there have been a lot spot. more it's discussions. Absolutely. And, exactly. And, yeah, and the, the development of... Um, I guess the legislation as well in the short term. I'm not sure whether the US had um, any impacts from a tax perspective um, on you know, <laughs> on, on COVID. I'm sure that you you would know all about it given your area of expertise. But again, is there have there been you know that the way that people are living more internationally, live, working more flexibly, has that overall oh. had an impact? Absolutely. And let me tell you, it's been a very dramatic time, right? Like, well, again, you know, we're tax and estates lawyers every time, every year is a dramatic year, but more so in a time of COVID. I remember that, that novel, remember love in a time of cholera, Yes, some some Latin American writer, but love in a time of COVID life in a time of COVID. And I think this has all come to, to bear, right? So you've got COVID, you've got the more flexible work from home, you've got the productivity and quality of life questions because death is ever near and always in front of you. And then you have over on top of that, the tax legislation, proposed tax legislation by the new Biden administration is also having a big impact, at least with my clients and those uh, my colleagues whom I deal with, about critical questions about, should I really remain here in the U.S.? Is it really better going to be for me abroad if I go to my wife's home country or if I go home to my home country? And um, that's because, you know, we have a new package out that uh, President Biden proposed, but it has some really interesting changes. I Mm. mean, and it's brought about by COVID as well. Like, for example, you know, ordinary income rates are going to go up now. And you're like being from Australia. That's not a surprise or even a place like Canada. But the U.S. has had a 37% tax rate. Now it's going to go up to 39.6% for people who are making more than 400000 Now, before, that wasn't the case. So, And then not just that, but the biter is going to be the increase in capital gains for certain types of folks that have certain types of wealth from a 20% cap gain to a 39.6%. Wow, so that's a huge that's change. Crazy. Yeah, and I could imagine that's that. That's a huge change. Yeah, and, and those are things where people – 
you know, probably realise, like in Australia, you need to get advice to understand what the implications are for you um, and also how you can look at um, making sure that you're not paying too much, that, that you've structured your assets properly, but also that you're you're paying the right amount. So so not overpaying and not forgetting to pay because I'm sure that that's when as well there's lots of issues where, you know, you, you just have to get advice, I'm sure, with these changes. Oh, definitely. And there's been a lot of chat, right, because of the COVID and thinking about where your ultimate life is going to be, where you want to die, where you want to retire. And now that you have a balance, work-life balance initiative that everyone recognizes, where would you like to live? Right. So we have a lot of questions about second citizenships, right, where, you know, sometimes you just feel like, hey, I just want a second passport. Right. I just want to know that I have an option that if things go you know, kind of crazy and nuclear here in the U.S. that you can, you have a plan B or maybe that is going to be your plan A and this is just going to be your plan B. Um, Countries like Australia and New Zealand and Canada, you know, um, return to to the home countries where many of our productive U.S. um, people have been working. Uh, Some of them are staying there for good. So there's a lot of discussions and it's all like as advisors. And I think we, we just have to be able to parse through, right? A, a one hour or a 30 minute sit down with their client and say, what are the issues that he's really getting to? And what is we really boiling down to a certain discussion about, Hey, where would you like to work in the next five years? Yes. We'll come into for a, a host of legal issues, right? Yeah. Like trust in estates. Dear yes. me, you know, um, if you were to die in another country, do you have a will? Yeah. If you were to die here, do you, how much are you going to get taxed? We don't know. We have some estate tax changes that might be coming up. We have some income tax changes already coming up. So do you have a trust? Do you have this? Do you have a power of attorney? Do you have durable health life insurance? Do you have durable, durable, uh, you know, health directives, powers of attorney and advanced health care directives? And maybe do you have life insurance in place? It now, I think it just has increased the level of attention that us as lawyers and advisors to our clients have to, to bring to the game, right? Like yeah, before, absolutely. if it was 100%, now it's 150% because yeah. you don't really know if you're providing the whole advice you need to tell your client, if this is the last day that you're going to talk to your client before they move abroad. Yeah. And God forbid, you should get a call from the client who already actually is calling you from abroad. And that's <laughs> happened too. <laughs> well, of course, you know, the, there's why, why um, get the planning before you move? I'm sure that that's the <laughs> most common frustration when you think if I just had known a couple of months ago, um, we could have done, done this and this. But I, I think that, you know, overall, whenever we talk, I think, you know, this is all about making sure that you know that you're talking to the right people. And I think that this idea of, you know, tax law in times of COVID, well, we need to make sure that we have the right (laughs) advisors helping us. And as always, Marsha, this has just been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. Um, And I can't wait until we can see each other in person again. Well, it's back on November. I'm I'm hoping, I'm I'm hoping on my lucky stars that we get to actually get caught up in Melbourne, you and me, back at the Langham, having a nice cup of tea. Absolutely. I can't (laughs) wait. Let's book it in. (laughs) Thanks, Marsha. Well, we certainly will, Anna. Thank you. Thank you. So my next guest 
on this special COVID-19 episode of What Happens When I Die is Amy from The Art of Decluttering. Now, we've spoken to Amy a couple of other times. Today, the focus is going to be on how COVID changed the way of operating her business. So I'm sure, given what you do in your work, that there was a change. Can you actually organise someone's house when you can't actually see it? That is an excellent question, Anna, and thank you for having me. Yes, we totally can organise people's homes, even when we're not with them in person, and even if we can't physically see, so if someone doesn't have capacity to FaceTime or Zoom with us, we can absolutely do that. And sometimes we do that just through our podcast, which is us giving tips and tricks and advice for particular areas. But we also increased our virtual sessions during COVID, which means that a client can jump onto a call for an hour with one of our staff members and we talk them through an area. And so it's like having us there in person. The only difference is you don't have our hands to help. And I think that um, some people found your your podcast and the increased number of episodes that you did a bit of a saving grace because, look, I must admit, I was probably busier than I've ever been in my working life <laughs> during COVID um, wow. and the lockdown. But most people probably found themselves with a lot of extra time without the commute and also potentially with a, a changed workplace. So I... I think that the the number of episodes that you did was just phenomenal and the the way that you pivoted what you did as well you were able to really help people do what they actually really wanted to do at that oh. exact time. So did you find that it was an easier process then when it was being done virtually or how was it impacted? I think my preference personally as a practitioner is to work with people in their homes. I'm a very tactile person. And I feel that you can um, move faster and make great decisions when you're there and you're bouncing energy off each other. But what we did in COVID is, so you're right, we went to a daily podcast for the first lockdown, um, which was significant. We were previously a weekly podcast and we're now back to weekly. But what we also did is we ran some online courses, which we've been running for a couple of years, but we ran some COVID-specific timing ones for the US and Australia. And we found that those were great because people who did have time, not everybody had time, as you said, you got busier. But for those that did have time and thought, you know what, now or never, I'm going to do this decluttering. By offering an online course, we could give them the information. So we do that through through video modules. And then we did weekly group coaching with them on Zoom. And that was fantastic because everyone had the accountability and the community to do it in. And so that was a great way that we got to serve really people from all over the world. That's wonderful. And did you feel that the reach of your audience increased through through the lockdown? I mean, I know that you often I I'm I, I won't say I'm active, but I'm I'm a lurker on your Facebook group and I see I see you in there and I, I know see you in there. <laughs> but I think that um I I saw more and more people from overseas. They've always been there, mm. but there were huge numbers coming in. And was that kind of exciting as well for you? It was totally unexpected as well. Like all of a sudden, we were going from maybe welcoming 100 people into our Facebook group a week to 1 to 200 a day. And so That's I think insane. Look, That's partly, absolutely partly insane. we have to thank Facebook algorithms, I'm sure. But I think it does just reflect that people all around the world were living in their homes, starting to see things that they had managed to ignore before. And so we're deciding, you know what, I'm going to take action. And I can't go out and there's not other things I can be doing with my time. So I'm just going to do it. I'm going to declutter and organize. 
That's great. Well, hopefully that means that that people the world over have, even though I I wasn't able to have as much time maybe as others, I must admit I did do quite a cull. So the toys went, the old boxes that I've kept for a long time went. And And um, how did it feel after you did that? I feel so happy every time I look at the space that I know previously had baby toys and my kids are seven and nine that mm-hmm. that has is always messy because it, it's what something that topples over it was just too full it was too busy it wasn't a nice clean space and I know that in our previous episodes you've spoken about those clean spaces and feeling just mm. just you know it, having that it was peaceful it was yeah. so lovely and so even though I wasn't able to commit as much time as I would have loved to have done just those little things were so enjoyable because they are still enjoyable every single day when I come home. I love where I live and I really do thank you for helping me make sure that I focused on what was important when it came to, I don't have a lot of time, what do I focus on? You're a legend. Well done. Now, unfortunately, when we think about COVID as well, though, we there's there's some really sad parts obviously, of COVID and not just being in lockdown and being stopped from seeing our friends, but when it came to if people passed away, then there was a lot Mm. of restrictions on exactly what we could do, who could visit. Now, I'm not sure if you actually had to go through that process with anyone. And we spoke last time about that idea of clearing houses and hopefully doing it before so that a person can be involved and and be really mindful about what they're giving to to loved ones and to friends. But did you have to assist anyone during that period when when it was all remote and people were really probably restricted from even going and assisting someone to not just if they passed, if someone passed away, but potentially downsized or moved into um, an assisted living facility. Mm, and I think it was such a different way of processing grief as a humanity that we've mm. had in the last 12 months. We've seen a real flow onto that of people collecting and holding onto possessions of people that have passed in the last 12 months more than they would have at any other time. So what we're finding is lots of, I wasn't able to be there in mum's last week. And so once she passed away, I just got a shipping company or a moving company to put everything in my garage. Mm. And I've heard that story over and over again. Mum passed away three months ago. Mum passed away in June. And that story of, and now I have all their stuff. Mm. So previously, when we weren't in restricted times, you would perhaps be going through a little bit of that with them and you'd be having the stories and things we talked about in our first episode. But without that, people are placing much greater weight on the physical possessions themselves and therefore finding it a much harder task to declutter them. So we're doing a lot of just saying to people, just give it six months, give it 12 months. Let's tackle some other areas that aren't as hard because you actually probably haven't got to grieve in the way that you usually would have. And so the attachment to the things is a deeper connection than perhaps it would have been any other year. That's just so. Um, in, not just insightful, but I guess I hadn't thought about that process until you just yeah. went through it then. And that idea of not being able to go and physically do what you'd normally do, mm-hmm. it's just delaying grief, isn't it? It's not Absolutely. allowing people to deal with it. And that's and sad. Yeah, and getting rid of all the things is not the solution either. Like I'm a declutter coach, so I love 
I love a good clear out like no one one else Mm. but when it's at detriment when it means that you have a double grief so you're grieving that you've lost your brother for instance and then doesn't have the things to process that's that's actually not the most helpful thing for them so the most helpful thing may be time so whereas usually people can often be ready in six months maybe at the moment we actually need to allow them a bit longer so that they can grieve properly and feel that they've had space yeah and and I I think that having a professional as we said in the last our last episode together it's it's actually really important because it feels oh. like, oh, this is, it feels like something I can do by myself. But the reality is in so many aspects of our life, we have professionals. Let's mm-hmm. take this burden off ourselves so we can focus on the important part and have someone assist us who has that understanding of what we really need to think about during this time. So thank you so much. I'm sure your clients all are so grateful for your be- you being there, but I'm also so grateful that you took some time out of your day, your very busy day, to come and speak to us and share your insights. So thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me, Anna. Now moving from the professional to the private, we are very grateful to have our next guest open up about a deeply personal impact of COVID-19. When we see news of lockdowns and restrictions, I think all of us feel for anyone who's been through the death of a loved one during the past 12 months. Jennifer Petruni, AMQC, graciously agreed to speak to us about her experiences during 2020 of just that. So Jennifer, I think that there's all sorts of ways that um, COVID-19 impacted jobs, it impacted the way we interact with people, the way we connect with people, but there's certain areas of our life that impacted potentially more and one of the purposes of this podcast is is very much to 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 give people some insights and understanding um maybe that they they wouldn't normally get into um what happens when I when I die now during covid you you did have unfortunately have to experience one of these more more personal um impacts of of COVID-19, the restrictions. And um, I'm very grateful that you've been willing to speak today about this. I think that it's probably best that you talk rather than me because it's not my story. But I'm happy to um, to come in if there's any, any okay. point that you want to. Oh, that's so. fine. Um, so on about the 8th of uh, September last year, my brother was found dead in his home in Gaffney's Creek. Gaffney's Creek is in the middle of nowhere. It is about an hour and a half out of Mansfield um, in the high country. So it was, the thing about, uh, my brother, is he's my only brother. We're 17 months apart. He's my eldest brother. And both my parents are still alive. Um, They're both about 80, mid 80s. Uh, Dad has been remarried for 30 years um, to Pam. And uh, it must be the worst thing in the world to lose your 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 child, your son. Uh, so my reflection on it is the shock of it. Really, is mm. is the thing that that was the lasting impression with me. Um, he, my brother, was found um, on a welfare check by the police, and you know it was in the middle of of, of lockdown, and I and they. I spoke to the policeman and he said, um, I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll come up at the, and, you know, look, th- you know, to finalise, look through Greg's things. 
um, after lockdown. He said, no, 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 you'll, you'll, you'll be coming up in the next couple of days. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay. So um, despite the fact that at the time there was the Ring of Steel, mm. uh, we were only, only allowed to go five kilometres outside our house, uh, we just got in, my husband and I got in the car and, and drove to, to Gaffney's Creek. Um, the wonderful thing about um, country towns is that, that they come into their own at this sort of time and the, particularly the country police. Um, anyway, so so we went up there, cleaned up Greg's stuff. And then, of course, the thing about um, death is that you really aren't given any time. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing you have to do is you have to get together, you have to tell people. Uh, I was in the middle of a trial and I just rang my junior and I said, George, you're going to have to finish. It was just about finished, so I just said, well, you have to finish it. Um, but then you, there's things to do. There's so mm. much to do. Um, and you haven't um, anticipated that this is going to have to happen. So uh, Greg, uh, my brother, didn't have a spouse. He had two adult girls, 26, 27, who lived in Sydney. So, uh, you know, we had to do the, the death notice. And it's interesting, you know, you can't just put a death notice in. You have to have a funeral parlour involved um, first. So we have to find the funeral parlour. And then it all just happens so quickly. You know, you have to put together an order of service and you haven't thought about it. Mm. You don't, you know, you have to find some music. You don't know, you know, there was three pieces of music and you think what sort of music would he wanted mm. and and then, you know, a poem or something like that. So now I've organised my parents. I've said, rush, I want to know all these things now. <laughs> it's too late to know it after you've gone. Um, and then, you know, the, the funeral itself uh, there were only 10 people allowed to be at the funeral. So, you know, you start thinking about, right, who's in, who's out. Um, and which, is, which is a hard thing anyway to yeah. be thinking about organising a funeral, on top of which thinking how am I even going to make this decision? Yes. Did you? So you made the decision or did you kind oh, no, of help all, people all to come together? And at, yeah. at the end of the day, it, it, it all, all his, only his best mate was able to be there. Mm. Um, the rest of them zoomed in. His daughters, of course, couldn't come from New South mm. Wales, so they zoomed into the service so that they were actually able to say something in the service mm. as well as simply watch it. So they were able to participate in the service, which was nice. Um, but then, of course, the next day is cremated. Mm. You, you just. It all happened so quickly yeah. and because uh, Greg died, of, uh, they didn't know what he died of, at the end of the day it turned out to be pneumonia, there was an autopsy. Mm. And so um, you've done a session on what happens yes. in an autopsy. But the thing is that, that, that then there's no death certificate. You can't start the, um, the estate, the probate. Yep. Um, and uh, when his death certificate came, you know, it comes with an envelope um, that says, you know, you should mm. you should be with someone when you open this. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm a big, strong, you know, lawyer. I don't need him. But it was a big impact. It's a huge impact when you actually get a death certificate. I can't tell you why, but it is. Um, and then it wasn't until six months later that the autopsy report came. So that was only relatively recently mm. that the autopsy report came. And, you know, that that's, you know, if you start thinking too much about the, the writing on the autopsy report, you start thinking about what actually happened to your brother's mm. body in the process, which is not a, really a good thing to do. Mm. Um, so I hope my parents don't listen to this podcast because I haven't sent them the uh, coronial mm. report, the autopsy. Um, 
But yeah, that that's uh, and as I said to you before, we we still haven't had an opportunity to inter his ashes back at Gaffney's Creek. That that's been a it's an ongoing sort of organisational thing to try and find a place, um, and then you've got to deal with the cemetery people to to allow you to put. You yeah, can't it's just, not as easy as chuck no, ashes no, wherever you no. like. Um, so that's happening um, not this weekend, next weekend we're having, and that will be like the funeral that we were not able to have. Mm. So we'll go up to Gaffney's Creek, which, as I say, is an hour and a half out of Mansfield, so it's 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 up in the high country there. And he's, we'll, we'll have some sandwiches and stuff on his property as well and say some, some nice words and all his mates will be mm. able to be there and his daughters. So I, I don't know whether you were able to go and see your parents physically or whether it all had to be virtually, you know, talking to them. And obviously your, um, your nieces, you, you couldn't no. see them because they were in another state and we were completely restricted mm. from, from travelling. Um, it th- must have been very surreal for them. Mm. You know, to attend your father's funeral via Zoom. Mm. I mean, how weird is that? Not, and, and not actually being that far away from there. So if they could have been in a car, they could have been within a yeah. day, I guess, yeah. or so, yeah. um, being there, but knowing that you're not allowed. And obviously we, we did see in the media that um, I think some of the most emotional um, discussions during the rest- restrictions and be- the lockdowns between the states was where there was a, a prevention of someone going to attend a funeral and mm. Um, I think every time we thought we would see that, you'd think I, I just feel so so much for those families. But it it doesn't real as you say you you are learning as it happens. You don't you've never been through this experience. Yeah. Oh, I'll before. be much better next time. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and and hopefully there won't be too many more next times. But um, I think that that's that's the the learning that you get, un- unfortunately, yeah. because you're thrust into it and you become a bit of an expert on, oh, now it'll be this, this will be the next thing. As you say, I mean, I think every episode I ever do on this podcast is um, planning is so critical, but planning for your own funeral is is difficult. It's, it's definitely something people put off. Yes, and because it's a reflection of your own mortality, isn't it? You think, oh, that means I'm going to die, so I won't do it. Well, I have, I've, I've made sure both my parents mm. have now, because Greg, of course, died in test, not of course, but he did, he died in test aid. So we have that whole issue of we can't, we can't access his bank accounts. We don't know what he's got there. Mm. Um, we can't do anything really with his property um, until we get probate and mm. I've, I'm using local solicitors at Mansfield who have been fabulous and I think that's really important to, to use the local people uh, but if he'd had a will it would have been so much easier. Mm. Yeah and and so intestate is where people and we I have talked about that in epi- other episodes but it's where people pass away without a will and um, without a valid will um, and the the legislation um, in each state sets out how an estate is distributed and it doesn't automatically mean that someone has the right to make decisions, close bank accounts, deal with property. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with using local um, solicitors to assist because, one, they know they know people. Um, it's a, I think if you look at any area of law and look there's probably others that are very personal obviously family law is very personal other areas but this is dealing with people at their most vulnerable um, succession law and estates um, wills and estates and having people that are part of a community 
when it's someone within a community that's passed away, I think is is really important yeah. because it's it it's really well, it's also probably the thing that they do the most of because it's unfortunately something that um that does come up. Um, I would say you know it would be so much. It would be very helpful if people could have a file somewhere that says my these are my bank accounts, these are the shares I have, this is the property I have, um, and you know you'll have your will, yes. But then there's the little things, you know. I'd like my sapphire ring to go to my daughter. I'd like, you know, the statue of whatever to go to my son. To have a list of that, to have something what you want in your funeral, you know, I want these songs played, I would like this poem read or this psalm read. Uh, those sorts of if you if you just sit back and think, okay, if I if I was run over by a bus tomorrow, what would my um administer, the people who are looking after my state, whether it's your children or whoever, what would they need to to be able to finalise my affairs? Who is my accountant? Who is my doctor? Uh, things like that. Mm. A bit of a, um, yeah, well, it is a plan, but a, a, I think that we have, a, I have certainly speak with a lot of clients who have listed a lot of those things. Um, the funeral's still the one that people don't think about a lot. And, and having said that, I have had the opposite. I've had people who have step by step said exactly what they want to happen, exactly the pieces of music and the um, the psalms to be read, the, the readings, who in a lot of cases. Yep. And and all I can say is that is extremely helpful for people going through something that is um, the last thing that you well you, you have to do it, but the last thing you really want to do at that point is um, is deal with the the actual um, practicality of putting together a a um, little book for someone's funeral, a, a, you know, the, and and not just putting it together, but thinking of which photo should go here, yes. which. Um, which person wants to do this and um, it's it's so emotional. It's something that you have a very short amount of time to organise. So and I found the the funeral directors, I won't I won't name them, but gee, they were good. You know, I mean you would expect them to be, but uh, just the 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 way they dealt with us as a family and um, you know, you've got to take in clothes for mm. the for my brother to be um, put in in a, in the coffin before he's cremated, and you know, picking out what clothes and socks and jocks. You know, it's mm. like hmm, mm. okay. But they and and you know, he was involved in rotary, so he we we put a rotary badge on his lapel and stuff like that. Um, the 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 funeral directors were just fabulous. That the right right tone right, yeah. and between professionalism and yet friendliness. And, you know, they provided a celebrant. It's, it seems weird to me that you have a celebrant at a funeral. Mm. It's not a celebration, but, you know, it is a celebration of their life. Mm. And I was really impressed as well with how the celebrant picked up uh, very quickly on, you know, who Greg was and ran, you know, you would expect it. They're professionals. But I, I must say I was very, very impressed with 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 how that was all done. Mm. And I think that they, they're probably in this area of work for a reason because you would have to be a very particular type of person, I think, to um, to, to feel comfortable talking through um, exactly what happens and, and be very specific because, as you say, you, you've never been through it before. You really need a lot of guidance um, and you you know that it's it has, it has to happen. It has to happen yeah. really soon as well. Mm. And one thing, well, not one thing, it, it, we were not able to have a wake 
which mm. was also a bad thing in COVID. So the, 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 the 10 of us who were at the funeral were able to have a cup of tea or whatever. But, you know, the thing about a wake is that it, that it is a gathering of the clan, mm. uh, you know, and everybody can share stories and all that sort of stuff. So that that didn't happen and perhaps that, that will happen, we hope, um, in the next couple of weeks. But I, I can imagine... You know, with big families, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a small family, so it was only Greg and myself and my parents. But can you imagine if there's six children, you know, mm. who, who, seven children and, you know, parents, who, who, who do you say, well, sorry, you can't come to the funeral? Yeah. Just awful. I can't imagine what it was like having to actually go through it. So I'm so grateful mm. that you've been willing to talk about the what happened um, your experience and um, I guess the the uniqueness of of dealing with something that is traumatic already during the times of of our mm. lockdown and and COVID nineteen. So mm. thank you so much, Jennifer. Oh, good on you, Anna, for for doing this series. It's it's so important that you know we don't talk about these things, and it, but it's important to know about them. So you know, good on you for doing it. Thanks, Anna. Well, there we have it. Not an episode we could have ever imagined needing when we first thought of this podcast, but one we felt was really needed at this time to all understand COVID and how it's impacted what happens when we die. Thank you once again to all my guests, Marsha, Amy and Jennifer. It's a joy to speak with you all and we appreciate all your efforts in joining us on this journey. From the impact of COVID-19 on the way that US practitioners work with their clients, how professional organisers helped clients to grieve differently, and the personal journey of Jennifer in dealing with the death of a loved one during a pandemic. Managing restrictions and using technology to connect with family far and wide, this episode probably makes many of us reflect on what 2020 and beyond means for us professionally and personally, and how we've adapted, pivoted, and grown accustomed to the virtual. And so ends Season 2 of What Happens When I Die. I hope you've enjoyed all the episodes, but particularly this very special focus on COVID-19 and its impact on these topics. As always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please take time to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen. We've been blown away by the reception to our podcast and would love to hear from you. You never know, you might even appear on a special listener episode and finally get answers to all your pesky estate planning questions that are currently sitting in the too hard basket. So if you have a question you've been dying to ask, sorry for the pun, please send it through to whwid at australianunity.com.au. And as always, Thanks for listening.